Hello and welcome to Masterpiece Conversations, a series of podcasts that in each episode brings together a leading curator and art dealer to offer a taste of what people are really talking about right now in a particular field. I'm Thomas Marks, editor of Apollo magazine, and I'll be your host for these discussions in which we're aiming to override the perceived church and state separation between museums and the art market, or at least to explore what conversation and collaboration between them makes possible. We'll be talking about what first drew our guests to their particular fields and what's really inspiring them at this point about the art they're so immersed in. And we'll dive into what the priorities are for museums and the market in that field at the moment, where they coincide and where they might even diverge productively. For this episode, the focus is on post-war and contemporary art, and I'm delighted to be joined by Flavia Frigeri, Chanel curator for the collection at the National Portrait Gallery in London, and by Neve Cochlan, director at Richard Saltoun Gallery, specialist in contemporary art with an emphasis on feminist conceptual and performance artists from the 1960s onwards. It's great to have both of you with me. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us. Let's start by sort of finding out a bit about how both of you got immersed in post-war and contemporary art. Perhaps an, an exhibition or a work or a particular show sticks in your memory, Flavia. So I actually came to contemporary art via very ancient art. I wanted to become an archaeologist. And then I found myself studying at University of Chicago. And I took this one seminar entirely on Jasper Johns. It sounds mad, but the whole three months were just about Jasper Johns. And we were, it was tied to the show they were having at the Art Institute of Chicago, which was curated by James Rondo. And I guess it was for Jasper Jones that I ended up being really immersed in contemporary and post-war. Not that I ever did any work on Jasper Jones after that, but I just started, it made me think about, you know, the way painting reacted to the sort of existential angst, but also mass media hype. And suddenly it felt like I wanted to be closer in time as opposed to so far removed from the art that I was studying. And what about you, Neve? It similarly to Flavia, insofar it was, it was more accidental than anything else. I mean, my mother is an artist, so I grew up in that sort of industry, I suppose. But I went to university to study sociology, and I took a elective in South and Southeast Asian art, and fell in love with it, and decided to kind of pursue it, switch my major, switch my degree, and the rest was sort of history, as it were. And and tell me, Neve, how you got to Richard Saltoun. I, I mean, not so much your, your whole career path, but sort of what attracted you to the types of artists that the gallery specialises in? It's quite an easy answer, I suppose, insofar as it was more of an interest in feminist art in particular and artists working in the 1960s, 1970s. And I met Richard through a ex-colleague of his who, when he shared a space with Karsten Schubert, introduced us. And yeah, we met for a coffee and we had a conversation and it kind of just went on from there. But I do remember when we first met, a lot of the conversation was about Linder, Penny Slinger, artists from that period. And that sort of mutual passion for the period and for the artists was what sort of set us on a trajectory and working together, which has now been almost a decade. Met met for a coffee and became a gallery director. It's, it's so... <laughs> exactly. 
Um, I wish it was Flav that easy. <laughs> Fl Flavia, thinking about thinking about this field, and 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 perhaps actually, you can tell us a little bit about about the work you're doing at the moment, because you've been given this this kind of great responsibility to rethink how the National Portrait Gallery presents elements in its collection. Yeah, I mean it's it's a mammoth task. I should promise it <laughs> that way, but. Basically, the National Portrait Gallery, with the support of Chanel Culture Fund, have decided to really invest in time and effort in really thinking how women are represented in the collection. And by women, I don't mean just female artists, but women from all sorts of walks of life. So suddenly I'm no longer just an art historian. I'm very much a historian. So, you know, I'm like researching spies who helped the French resistance surgeons, the woman who invented the plaster cast. I mean, the range is vast to really think about their place in making history, essentially. Flavia, I know that you've worked in recent years on international pop art. The world goes pop. You, you were part of the curatorial team for at Tate Modern. Uh, I know you've worked on really interesting, neglected Italian artists as well, uh, among other things. What what sort of really surprised you or perhaps even pleased you most about how the field of contemporary art studies and exhibition making has, has changed in recent years? I guess what I personally particularly enjoy is really the sense of discovery. And I think discovery as a term can be sometimes problematic. I mean, I don't like to see myself as like this sort of curator explorer who goes out there and like... You, you're an archaeologist again. Exactly. See, I'm a bit deep down. I'm true to myself, to my first self. But it's just the idea of really, I think, giving value and attention to stories that for a really long time have been there, but have been very localized. And this is what I discovered with a pop show. You know, the artists that we were showing here in London were actually real icons in their own countries. It's not like we were discovering anything new. We were just bringing together a story that had been there all along and just like presenting it, essentially. And I feel museums are perhaps more and more committed to this. I think, Flavia, you should give credit where credit is due. <laughs> You guys did more than just present their work in a museum space. A lot of these artists were actually relatively underrecognized, even in their home countries. So I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice. Thank you, Niamh. Uh Maybe in some cases, I guess that's true. I guess I'm always a bit conscious of like not taking too much of the credit as a curator, because at the end of the day, I still believe that curators are there to facilitate. So as much as I tell a story with an exhibition like the pop one, which is never entirely objective, it's always arbitrary, really. But the value for me always rests in those works. But you're right, Neve. there were some that were very much still undercover. I like to think, especially the Spanish women we had in the exhibition, they were completely unknown. Mm. One of them, and I'll just say this, said to me when I went to see her in Valencia, she said to me, you know what? I was making art under Franco's regime. And at that time, you either were someone's daughter, then someone's wife, then someone's mother. There wasn't any time for you to be an artist. And I think that for me still sticks as something very moving that I felt like I could do at least the service of bringing her back as an artist many years later. 
I think this is really interesting that that so much of what is described as contemporary, and we now append this post-war tag to it frequently as well, it's where we're moving between artists who are living or artists who have long been living but might have been neglected, and, and some artists who also now uh, ha- have died in recent decades too. But but Neve, I, I wanted to ask you about this sort of moment for a gallerist, and, and the gallery does put on shows that I suppose one might describe as simultaneously contemporary and historical, if that makes sense. Do, do you feel that in some way you're you're writing a first draft of art history? Not at all, because I think it's we're just one kind of thread in part of a larger web that are all working together to kind of create that new art history and to shed light on these artists that Flavia mentioned that have sort of been undercover or only recognized within their sort of microcosm, whether it's geographical, social, or otherwise. But I think we're all feeding into it. It's just, it's an interesting moment right now because there is such an emphasis on looking at artists who have been historically overlooked for these various reasons. And whether it's with collectors or museums themselves, as with the NPG, where they're trying to kind of plug the holes, as it were, in their own collections. And at the end of the day, I mean, you're missing out a huge part of the narrative of art history in so many different collections, whether it's based on gender or ethnicity. And so it's going to be interesting to see what comes out in the next decade, two decades, insofar as the changing and shifting dynamic of collections and the way that people think about art. Flavia, this new thinking and the opportunity to do this research, I'm interested to, to hear your take on on how the amount of this work that, that is going on in museums and, and other art historical and artistic contexts around the world, how, how it's sort of best being translated for a, for a public. I think that's a very good question in the sense that the public at the end of the day are on the receiving end. I mean, we work for the public, especially in museums. And I think, you know, there is sometimes I find that we underestimate our audiences in the sense that audiences like to see new things. There is always a bit of an anxiety, you know, this is new. How are we going to present it? It's perhaps a different discourse. How is it going to like sit with like more traditional canonical narratives that we've accustomed our audiences to? But actually what I've noticed is the public is incredibly receptive and actually genuinely very interested in what is different, as long as you explain it. And I think that is where museums really need to work. And in a way, in America and in the UK, museums are very good interpretation-wise. Sometimes, maybe even too much, we hold visitors' hands. Whereas there are countries where interpretation is still very much lagging behind, which generates always that odd thing of like contemporary not being accessible. Like I, I honestly, personally feel really enraged when I go into a show and there's no explanation whatsoever. I can understand it, but that completely alienates everyone else. Neve, from your perspective, Richard Saltoon is a gallery that puts on exhibitions that have a real intellectual focus, uh, a curatorial integrity. You've got this series of exhibitions this year about Hannah Arendt and her legacy. 
I'm really interested to, to hear from you the extent to which, in a commercial context, do you feel like you, you have more opportunities to almost be nimble uh, here than, than maybe museums might do in some cases? Absolutely. I mean, ultimately, we're not reliant on funding and we're not reliant on ticket sales. We are reliant on people buying the art, but that's up to us to make that happen. So there is definitely a much higher degree of flexibility in terms of what we put on. We can be controversial, we can be daring. And ultimately, if, if it doesn't work, we'll see it reflected in the bottom line. And that's just a risk that we can take. And, you know, we have been quite good at diversifying the way that we operate insofar as you know, we take a lot of risks in terms of the actual gallery program. And we're able to do that through sales that we facilitate on the side, through a great coterie of collectors that believe in us, believe in the program that we've developed over the past 10 years. And, you know, I have to give them their credit because without them, without their daring and their sort of ability to trust us insofar as what we're doing, we wouldn't be able to take the risks that we do. But you know, it's very different to museums in the way that we operate in that sense. Is it hard to quantify the risks or, or let me put it another way? I mean, without spilling too many beans, are there are there some projects that just feel too audacious in a commercial context to, to go ahead with? On Hannah Arendt. In theory, this should be a total <laughs> disaster. <laughs> but it's not because, you know, it's it's a very particular moment. It's her writings are so prescient. And I think people are ready to be challenged. As Flavia said, you know, we we underestimate our audiences and we haven't done it this year. And everyone has reacted very positively, financially, critically and otherwise. Flavia, let me ask you, sort of looking across the commercial gallery world, in fact, and, and the market in particular. I mean, do, do you find that in a sense as a curator, that's the place where where you see almost as many risks being taken as in museums? I think, I mean, without making generalizations, there are definitely places where galleries are taking risks and galleries are really thinking about their program in ways that is not just simply about, you know, showing art on white walls and selling it. They're actually thinking of it as a program. And, you know, obviously what Neve just described, Richard Saltoon are an excellent example of this it's not just about saying okay here is our exhibition you come you see it it's one artist and that's done and then we have the next there's much more of a holistic view in terms of like programming and in that sense I think yes they are doing some galleries some important work that is comparable to that of museums because there's a real effort in storytelling I suppose it, it depends which galleries you look at, as as you suggest, Flavia. I mean, I mean, I was interested to hear from actually quite a progressive, risk-taking contemporary art gallery quite recently that during the pandemic, a lot of their collectors had been buying, you know, safe, bankable paintings rather than works that seemed more challenging, harder to think about in terms of display or archiving or, or conservation. But Neve, it sounds like that, that hasn't been the case for you. It hasn't been. And to be honest, from the feedback that I received from our collectors over the past 14 months is I think they were a bit underwhelmed with what they were being offered insofar as I think they felt they were being offered very kind of safe bets. And obviously there was a bit of a pause in programming at the very beginning of the pandemic. 
But I definitely think that when we reopened, speaking from our own experience, we opened with a show of Bob Law, the British minimalist. And the feedback that we got was incredible. You know, collectors were just like, we've been waiting for a good, interesting, intellectual show. Thank you for offering it. You know, obviously, they wanted to have a bit of a safe bet. So it's more of a historical artist working in the 1960s and 70s. But yeah, I mean, we're such a different program. We don't really have blue chip artists in that sort of conventional sense of the word. So it's it's difficult for me to really comment on it in that sense. You haven't got a Picasso under the staircase. <laughs> we have a Warhol. <laughs> but I, I think picking on what Neve was just saying, the fact that collectors reacted and said, oh, you know, we were really waiting for something to kind of capture the imagination, if one can put it that way. I think that is also very true of museum exhibitions. I mean, the people I've been speaking to recently, everyone feels almost like this moment of reset, the past 14 months kind of beg for museums to do things that are more daring, that are more exciting. There's almost like less patience for the obvious, which in many ways is counterintuitive given the times and given the fact that probably museums will have to play it relatively safe for some time. But I also love the fact that there is such an excitement for the genuinely daring, like people are calling for it more than ever. What what sort of things do you, do you think, Flavia, are, are kind of the more daring types of projects happening at the moment? I don't know. I mean, personally, I'm going to say something that maybe won't seem so daring on the surface, but it did seem to me. So one of the shows I saw once museums reopened here was the Eileen Agar, which was actually, to me, was a daring show in many ways. At the Whitechapel Gallery. At the Whitechapel Gallery. Because it's one of those artists that I always had at the back of my mind and kind of didn't think too much about. But actually, in seeing that show, it was one of those shows that you come out and you're like, okay, this really made me think and discover something new. Like her weird fusion of like constructivism and surrealism, her like taking on these characters, there was so much to it that kind of made you think, even in contemporary terms, this is a really relevant artist. And I think that's the surprise that you want to find, that feeling. I, I was interested, this takes us back to what you're saying about accessibility. And I was interested, Flavia, what you were saying about how far you might need some interpretive rubric alongside most art, if not all art, but specifically here, we're talking about contemporary art. And I wondered, I mean, the images of things, images are quite accessible on the whole, not always the ways those images have been made. Things that are representational are quite accessible. But what is it that complicates contemporary art or quite a lot of contemporary art being accessible? Is it is it the conceptual element, even when something isn't ostensibly conceptual? Yeah, definitely. I would say the conceptual element that underpins a lot of contemporary art, even when it's very literal in many ways, even when it's figurative, there's always a layer. And, you know, arguably you could say this of every art from every period. In fact, we could say this also of the Renaissance. If you don't really know what you're looking at, if you don't know the Bible, you kind of can't really read what you're looking at. My feeling is like, 
and I've noticed this across the years with collectors, with people I've taken around exhibitions, with friends, with just people writing comments. When I was at Tate, we would read the comments on a regular basis that visitors left for us. It's just like people like to know. And I think it's a duty to give the information. Then if you want, don't want to read it, up to you. But if you want to read it, you at least know what you're looking. For instance, I'll give you an example. The Lynette Yadion Boichi show at Tate Britain. If you're not told that those are actually visions and imaginations and it's a reflection on painting, you just walk in and think of those as portraits, which is fine, maybe. You can take away that. But I think it takes away a lot from the work not knowing that there is that additional layer. Neve, on, on your side, I mean, you work a lot with performance art, conceptual art. Do you find that people in the gallery need, well, put simply quite a lot of, of text or, or explanation for works? I would say yes. I mean, we provide that insofar as a press release and a kind of exhibition guide. But I think ultimately, you know, we're not a museum, so we're not going to have wall labels beside every artwork that's in the show. It almost puts the onus on the viewer to sort of ask the questions of, of us as the gallery staff. And I think art fairs are a great conduit for allowing those conversations to naturally happen because you're, you know, normally in a gallery situation, the staff, there's a receptionist, but the actual staff are kind of sitting upstairs, downstairs in their offices. So there's not a chance to naturally engage with them, whereas art fairs enable you to have these conversations in a very quick and I think quite an easy and accessible environment. And, you know, when they come back, well, I think we'll see a huge amount of interest in art fairs again for that very reason. You know, it's a it's a wonderful environment to really kind of soak up a lot of interesting art. Some not so interesting, but that's just the, the way of the world. But yeah, you know, it's a balance between being didactic and being explanatory. But as Flavia said, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. You know, we can't even look at art without reading about it, understanding it, understanding the context, where the artist came from, their personal history. Because so many different things feed into a painting that to just look at it purely on its aesthetics is it's doing it a huge disservice, I think. Neve, you you say you know, we're not a museum. We don't need to have wall labels, or, or we can't really have wall labels next to every single work. But I'm interested to hear from you how far from the gallerist perspective in, in this field, the collaboration with museums is something that is not just a, something to be desired, but it's something that actually drives along the work that you do. It makes it more dynamic. It's hugely important for us. I mean, I think at the end of the day, curators are literally just researching all of the time, having conversations with artists, you know, looking through books, doing so much ancillary work that they are hugely important to us as source of information and whether it's through collaborations with curators coming into the gallery and doing shows for us or whether it is just a kind of general feeding to one another you know posting catalogs of our shows sending them details of the works that we're doing because through these conversations other things come out you know we often find new artists just through museum exhibitions as much as they do have quite a big names there are always discoveries to be made, whether it's in current contemporary exhibitions or through old exhibition catalogs, which, especially for us in our program, are vital to our research. And Flavia, for you, I mean, not looking in terms of potential acquisitions for a museum or, or something like that, to what extent is 
the gallery world around the museum an opportunity for knowledge sharing? I mean, I think it's actually a really important opportunity for knowledge sharing, because in the same way that Neve is saying, you know, she looks into exhibition catalogues, visits exhibitions, and that's where, you know, ideas might come from. Similarly, often it is through galleries that you encounter new artists and see things that you didn't know about. And actually, even traditionally, this has been the case, because if you think about it, when you look back on you know, the program of certain post-war galleries in the 1960s and 70s, sometimes you're looking for something very obvious, very specific. But when you look through the list of exhibitions, often you stumble into someone unexpected. They were showing things that have fallen off the record, but are interesting. So I would say it was always very porous, the relationship, and in a positive way, I would, I would say. That sort of takes us back to the the way that the commercial world feeds off risk taking in in certain ways, or or it has to take critical judgments linked to its own business in terms of the artists that it's going to show. I mean, it, it does mean that there are all manner of artists who might not have been somehow for their time, but are of their time, if that makes sense. Maybe the other way around. Definitely. I mean, I think it's interesting, that dynamic. And it's interesting also the kind of artists that at one point were considered really of their time and have fallen completely off the record. I mean, I always cite Buffet being like, you know, more popular than Picasso in 1950s Paris. I mean, you, you were buying Buffet, you weren't buying Picasso, which if you look back on it, it seems crazy to us. But it's also that I guess there's a larger point there, which is about aesthetics and aesthetics that change over time. And, you know, then there's the idea of like things that instead stand there to the test of time. Neve, do you think in any way there could be more productive collaboration between museums and the art trade in contemporary art world? I do. I think it will more and more become more transparent the kind of reliance on each other not just in terms of sharing of intellectual information but as well as kind of pivoting and thinking of new ways to kind of loan shows out and to to enable museums to bring works into new situations through a collaboration with a private gallery versus an institution in that country i think more and more because of the way that the world has kind of changed as a result of the pandemic, finances will kind of dictate that happen. Unfortunately, you know, I hope that it's the case that smaller galleries will be able to be part of that process because obviously they're not gonna have the capital behind them to kind of take on part of a museum show or what have you. But I think there's gonna be a greater degree of flexibility in those kind of relationships going forward. And there has to be. Well, I, I couldn't see any reason when the galleries had been opened as part of the unlocking in the UK, why other than logistics uh, with museums still closed, a museum couldn't have loaned its exhibition to a commercial gallery, given that commercial premises were open at the time. It's a thought experiment, no more, but it, it just suggests that maybe we're going to have to be a little more nimble, you know, still bearing in mind the ethics of working between the commercial sphere and, and, and the public sphere. But maybe there are going to be more creative opportunities to work together. Flavia, do you think so? I think so. And I think we've been actually, as Neve was saying, moving in that direction for a while. 
I think it's just, and in certain countries, I think it's even more active, that relationship, than perhaps it is here in the UK and in the US, I would say. But I think, yes, in a way, you are all working towards the same goal. So why shouldn't there be more of a space, a place for sharing resources and trying to get the best for both worlds? Well, on working towards the same goal, let me say thank you both very much to Flavia Frigeri and to Neve Coughlin for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Masterpiece Conversations, a podcast brought to you by Masterpiece London. The fair returns to the Royal Hospital Chelsea in the summer of 2022. For more information and to enjoy further content brought to you by the fair and its exhibitors, head to www.masterpiecefair.com.